All right, stay standing. Everybody stay standing. Happy anniversary, K2 from Couriers. Awesome. And real quick, before we sit down too, I just want to uh, say thank you, because I know like literally like hundreds of you poured out your sweat and your time and your effort to actually get us in this building. So thank you to all of you who kicked it out. Appreciate that. And uh, before uh, we jump in here real quick, we literally have people standing out there trying to find a seat. So if you have one seat between you, we really need you to move and make sure there aren't any seats uh, between you so that people coming in can catch an aisle seat, okay? So if you just welcome each other, go ahead and greet one another, make sure everybody gets a warm welcome, and then you can have a seat. Hey, well, when we... Um, celebrate an anniversary uh, as a church, one of the things that you need to know is this is actually a, a total biblical thing. Um, if, if, lots of times we have totally wrong pictures of God, and, but if you actually read the Bible, you'll find out that God loves to celebrate, man. I mean, he loves to throw parties, and he is the one who, when he does something great, he always told his people, now I want you to every year, every year, remember what I've done. And so that's why for us, when we have our anniversary every year here at K2, it's just important for us too to kind of think back and recollect what God has done. And so I'm going to share again just a little bit of our story. If you know our story inside and out, it doesn't matter because that's what the Israelites did every year. God said, now remember. So if you're part of this thing, remember. And if you're new here uh, to K2, if this is your first time or you're just visiting today, um, maybe you don't know this. But um, for me too, in recollecting our story, just this week, it, uh, some new things hit me, which was very cool. Maybe that's why we should do it more often. But our story started uh, with a guy, uh, Luther Ellis, uh, who used to play football. Anybody remember Luther Ellis here in the Utes? Okay, if you were here from Salt Lake. He was a uh, total stud football player, defensive lineman for the University of Utah here. And while he was here, uh, he was on a spiritual journey. Luther was trying to figure out who God was and what that might mean for his life. And... Um, and he didn't find it. And this week, I started thinking about that. I'm like, no, that's kind of weird. I mean, because God says, if you seek me, you're going to find me. And so I started thinking, well, why didn't Luther find God then while he was seeking him here in Salt Lake? And then I, I finally realized it was because he wanted him to suffer by being drafted by the Detroit Lions. <laughs> and uh, so it, it hit me. Apparently, Luther had some character issues that needed to be dealt with. And so he made him go to Detroit. And... Uh, but, but once he got to the Detroit Lions, not only did he suffer being a player, but it was there where Luther finally, as the, as the Bible says, the eyes of your heart get enlightened. And for the first time, Luther felt like he met Jesus Christ, and he handed over his life to him, and he decided to follow him. Now, what was interesting is uh, in Detroit, he went to this church called Kensington Community Church in Troy, Michigan. And he popped through those doors, and when you hear him tell the story, he'll say, the first day he walked in there, he said, this is what Salt Lake needs. He goes, I want to see a church like this happen in Salt Lake City. So Luther had this dream and this passion to be involved in helping this church get started here. But what was interesting is he held that dream for eight years. Eight years he had a dream in his heart. See, part of the problem was he'd go to other pastors and leaders, and he'd tell them their dream, and they'd be like, yeah, it uh, sounds great. Good luck with that, Luther, you know? And, uh, and then he shared it with his wife, Rebecca, and Rebecca, just she didn't get it either. She wasn't on board. 
And then in 2002, they came out here for the Olympics. And when they came out here, Rebecca looked at him and she said, you know what, Luther, you're right. We need to get a church started here in Salt Lake City. Now, here's what's interesting. This is for me when the story gets good. In February of 2002, they started praying that God would get a church started here. In February of 2002, my wife and I were in Little Rock, Arkansas, taking my little girl, Mariah, for a surgery. And we're having dinner with this family that we were staying with. And all of a sudden, this gal says, she goes, man, Dave, she goes, you're only 35 years old. You're teaching pastor at a church of 6,000 people. She goes, you've already done it. And I remember uh, going to bed that night, and I'm like, already done it? I go, I don't feel like I've done anything yet. How interesting. Now, here's, here's where you catch this. That one little phrase, this is how God works. That one little phrase made me start questioning in my heart. Now, why do I feel like I don't? Haven't done anything yet. Because it was a great ride at Kensington. But there was something in there missing. And so then, one day, and I just asked my wife this, and she still remembers. We were actually climbing a, a mountain in, in Phoenix, Arizona. See, God's like everywhere. You know, he's just, he'll just be all over the place. He doesn't matter where you are. We're climbing this mountain, and all of a sudden it hit me. It's like, you know, I, I really should tell Susie this because I've been walking with Jesus long enough now that I know that when these, as I call them, winds of change start blowing, you need to pay attention to them. And I just said, because we were you know, pretty newly married, and I said, Suze, I just need to let you know, you, you might want to get ready, because something's happening. So I set up a couple meetings. I had a meeting with our lead pastor back at Kensington, and I also set up a, with he and one of our executive pastors. And they were talking about my future, and they were asking me, so Dave, how do you feel about your future here at Kensington and your job? And I'm like, man, I love it. It's awesome. I said, but I got to tell you, if I've been here, I'm like here now. And I don't know what that means, but just... Something's going on. As soon as I got out of that meeting, I had set up a meeting with one of our elders, Mike Carnell, just a great guy. And I said, Mike, would you just ask me questions? He just was really good at helping you process what you were feeling. And Mike asked me questions. We meet for about an hour. I get out of that meeting with Mike. I walk to my office, and I hit my voicemail. And there it is, Luther Ellis. Hey, Dave, you ever think about church planning? My wife and I would love to see something happen in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the rest is history. Yeah. So you guys, here's, here's what's weird is like God is always on the move. He's always at work. Jesus said that, hey, my father's always working and I too am. But here's the deal. It's not always in our time. See, because I just think, what if Luther would have just found Jesus right here in Salt Lake? Then all, I don't know if he would have felt any need to make something happen. He needed to get there. And I'm telling you this, man, if he would have asked me, when he first had the idea, there would have been no way I would have ever considered doing this. I remember saying that there's no way in God's green earth I will ever plant a church after seeing what it took to do it. Unless there's a fire burning inside of me so strong that I'd die if I didn't. Well, apparently that happened. <laughs> so, so we look back at that. And for me, again, it was just a chance to go, oh, my goodness, you guys. God is moving. He works in us in his timing and in his way. And I look back at this and I just celebrate with you. Because in four years here now, God was thinking of you. He was thinking of me, but he was also thinking of you. And I would just say, how many of you could say in the last four years, you feel like you now know Christ, which the Bible says this is eternal life, that you would know Christ. That's what it is. It's not just going to heaven. It's actually knowing God intimately and personally. And how many of you would say in these last four years, you feel like you know Christ better than you did four years ago? Anybody in here? Okay, see, now that's why he did this thing. 
And I think of all the stuff that we've been doing, right? We've been in, doing ministry to, in Pioneer Park and to the Dream Center with the refugees and Los Pinos and Honduras and the Eurovitz and Russia and New Orleans. And I think what's happening for some, some of you is finally you're realizing, wow, this, this life isn't about you. And that's a really good thing to finally come to grips with, that you're about something bigger in the world that's happening. And then how many of you would say that you have found some of the most significant relationships that didn't exist four years ago. Anybody in here find significant relationships these last four years? Like, I remember telling our team all the time, it's like we're living in Michigan and just saying, hey, you guys, get ready. Some of your best friends who you haven't even met yet are waiting for you in Salt Lake City. And that's what God does. He knits us together. And so I look back, you guys, at this last year or these, and these last four years, and I just go, unbelievable. I, I, I can tell you this, man. I never dreamed that anything like this would have ever actually taken place. I thought I was a big dreamer, and apparently I'm not. Because God always says, I'll do more than you could ask or imagine. But now it's September 28th, 2008. And you, can, I just, you know, can I just share with you how I feel right now? <laughs> Instead of words, sometimes pictures are better. So, so watch this. This is how I feel right now. Got it? Yeah. All right. Sometimes movies do a really great job of telling you how you feel. I'll tell you how I feel right now. I feel like we are on the verge of something, and we have no idea what it is. Sometimes God leads you in life, and you get to the point where you're like the dude on the horse, and you just go, uh-oh. Or you're like the Indians in the Apocalypto, and you just know that something's out there, and you're not sure what it is. I tell you what, all week long, I have felt like a guy in a, in a locker room. That's what I felt. You guys, can anybody relate to me? I remember in high school, you know, we'd walk out of the locker room. You're sitting there waiting for the game to begin. And for us in our high school, you'd walk out, and all of a sudden, this field was about 400 yards away down a hill. And you'd see the lights, and you'd come out two by two, and you'd start walking. <sighs> you know what I love about weddings? I get to do a lot of them. You know what I love about weddings? You guys ever watch The Groom? Yeah. yeah? You ever watch the groom stand there? One of the last weddings I did was Matt and Shannon got. They just got married here. And I remember looking over at Matt, and his little lip was going, you know, just, just, just quivering because he's on the verge, baby. I mean, you get to this point where you just know something's around the corner, but you don't know what it is. And that's how I feel about 0809. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you to Exodus. I have not been able to get this out of my mind for, like, months. We're going to go to Exodus 3 because there's another story here of Moses when all of a sudden he was going to be on the verge. And you got to get the picture of this because Moses was just out working. He was just having an everyday day like you guys do all the time in your workplace or your school or your home. And you're out there, and then all of a sudden he sees this bush, and it's like on fire. And he looks over there, and he goes, hmm, it's not burning up. wonder if that could mean something. <laughs> and I, I mean, seriously, the verse is really funny because I guess maybe I should go check that out. He goes over, and he checks it out, and God speaks to him. And the first thing he says, he says, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Here I am. But then in verse 7, the conversation begins. And I feel like this matches so much where we are today. So let's read this together. Chapter 3, start with verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. 
because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. The first thing that God says to Moses, he goes, is I've seen the misery. I've heard the cries. And here's the best part about our God. And I am concerned. And I want to tell you guys right now today, September 28th, 2008, in this world, God sees the misery. And he sees it in you. I don't know you guys, but if you have misery right now, God sees it. God right now today is hearing the cries of everyone in this world who are crying out to him. And he's hearing your cries if you're crying out to him. And here's the best part. He is concerned right now, today. That's the first thing he says to him. Then we go to the next verse, verse 8. And this is so good. And he says, so I have come down to rescue them. I've seen it, I've heard it, and because I've concerned, I have come down to rescue them. See, our God, you guys, the one that we worship is a God who reaches out. He is a God who likes to come and actually come down. And when I, when I look at that verse, I don't know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how can you not read that verse as well and just say, who else came down? For God so loved the world, right? He loved the world. He didn't want to condemn the world. He loved the world. And so he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but actually would receive everlasting life. See, when God sees the misery and when he hears the cries, he's concerned and then he comes down to rescue. That's what God did. That's what he did in Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants to continue to do in us. And then it gets good. And you go to verse 9, the next verse, and it says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Here, you guys, you ready? So now go. I am sending you. You guys catch this? This is so critical. Because I think lots of times people can look at the world and go, Well, where's God? What's the issue? Doesn't he see this? Doesn't he hear the cries? How come he's not doing something about it? You see how God works, though? He goes, I see it. Oh, I hear it. Believe me, I'm concerned. I am so concerned, I would give up my son and have him die a cruel death. That's how concerned I am. But here's how I work. I see the problem, and you. You're the answer. Oh, you. So now, because of all this, Go, I am sending you. Hey, I don't know if you're visiting today, but if you're actually a part of K2, the church, guess what? You want to know what 0809 is going to be about? We're going to stand arm in arm, paint our faces blue. <laughs> Hold! And we are going to go wherever he asks us to go. And we're going to do whatever he asks us to do because God is concerned about the state of this world and he's concerned about you. And that's what's going to happen this year. Now, what does that mean? 
I have no idea. I don't, but I know that. See, there's lots I don't know, but what I do know is that God sees, he hears, and he's concerned, and then he says, and so you're the church, you guys go. In fact, Jesus Christ said that in John 20, 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We are sent ones. See, when Jesus Christ comes and he rescues you, now again, so it's a great picture because the Egyptians were in slavery and in bondage, and they need someone to come, and they cried out, who's going to rescue us, right? And God sends Moses, and he rescues them from their slavery. But when we get to the whole New Testament, Jesus was going, it's not about your political enslavement. It's about the slavery of your heart. The scriptures tell us that we're all a slave to this thing called sin, to this nature inside of us that cares more about ourselves than anybody else around us. And we become a slave to it. And when you live for yourself and not anybody else, it screws up the world. And it screws you up. And it screws your relationships up. And you can't help it. And we get divorced and we hurt each other and we are bitter. And God goes, that's not what it's supposed to be out. Let me come down and rescue you from yourself. And see, then when he does that and you receive his forgiveness and you get reconciled back to God, then he says, awesome, now I'm going to live in you through my Holy Spirit. And now I am going to change the world through you. What an amazing plan. See, Jesus in the flesh was only one person who could go and touch, but now risen from the dead, the only guy I know who did that, the risen Christ says, now, spiritual being that you are, I can come and enmesh myself with your spirit and actually change you, and now hundreds of thousands of people can go. And I'm telling you, I know he's telling K2, the church, go. And guess what? If you're going to hang around here, you might want to go to another church. Because if you're going to hang around here, I guarantee you, at some point, he's going to look you straight in the eye, and he's going to say, you, now, go. I'm sending you. He may send you to Pioneer Park. He may send you to the Dream Center to work with the refugees. He may send you to Russia or Honduras, or he may send you to New Orleans. He might ask you to walk across the street. He might ask you just to look at the person in the cubicle next to you. I'm telling you this, though. God is hearing the cries of the people that you know, and he wants to touch them, and he wants to do it through you. So how are you going to respond? I love Moses' response. Here we go. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Anybody relate? Are you kidding? Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, wait a second. That's great for you pastor types. You go, Dave. You go get them. You know, we're down here. We're right behind you. We'll cheer you all the way. But no, God is going to look at you, and probably you're going to say, who am I? Can I tell you, when Luther, I got the call, for, it wasn't a burning bush, but 300-pound linemen are also kind of intimidating too. <laughs> when you get a call like that, but you realize it's actually from God, and I look in the mirror, and God says, you're the man, Nelson? And you go, oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, my, you, God, you know me. You know my weaknesses. You know my fears. You know my insecurities. You know my sin. You know all the crap about me, and you want me? And God goes, hello, you got a problem here. Let me show you the next verse. Moses says, who am I? And God says, what in verse 12? I will be with you. Do you notice he doesn't even answer his question? God does that all the time in the Bible. Moses is like, hey, who, who, who am I? That's not the issue. Let me, let me, let me straighten you out. 
I'm going to be with you. You know what he was saying? Moses, you got the wrong question. The question isn't who are you. The question is who am I? Come on, man. I'm rescuing the Israelites. You aren't. I just need you to, do, I just need you to tell Pharaoh everything. Right? I'm the one who's actually going to do all those plagues and all that kind of stuff. You, aren't, you, you wouldn't do a good job on that. That's my job. I just need you to be my messenger. I just need you to do whatever I ask you to do, and it actually will be my power that's going to do it. You guys get the picture here? See, I heard this, uh, a guy say one time, he said, about the burning bush issue. He said, it wasn't anything special about the bush. It was the fire in the bush. So any old bush will do. You guys need to remember. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. All God needs is a person who will say, not who am I, but here am I. Here am I. Send me. And I guarantee you, if you hang out this year, you're going to hear it. And you're going to have a choice. Who am I or here am I? And I'm telling you, you guys, I just, when I think about that and I look at this, I go, just think about what the results were for Moses. Can you imagine? Again, what was he doing? He was just out there farming, doing some sheep action. And go ahead and read the Bible sometime. Read this Exodus 3 account. It's really funny because Moses really argued with God to the point where he's like, Dude, you don't get this. Do you know who I am? I can't do this to the point where actually God got very angry with Moses. He's like, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are. I'm doing it. Get the picture? And finally Moses says, okay, here am I. Can you imagine if Moses hadn't gone? He could have hung out with a bunch of stinky sheep in the middle of nowhere for the rest of his life. How great would that have been? You know? Can I ask you a question? What did Moses get because he said, here am I? Do you remember what he got to see? Did he get to know God? You guys remember, he's the guy that got to go to the top of the mountain, receive the Ten Commandments. That was kind of cool, okay? He is the guy who got to meet with God and see God do miraculous things. And it came down to a moment when God said, you're my man or you're my woman. What are you going to say? And all of us sitting in here could say, who am I? Hey, I'm busy. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on. You don't understand. I'm an American. You know, we've got all this stuff. And you go ahead and you live your American dream. You live it. Good luck, according to tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you live your American dream in your safe little place, building your nice little kingdom around you. It'd be like Moses saying, oh, whew, I'm safe here. When God might have miracles for you to see miracles the miraculous that's why here we say you know what we're going to be focused because it's going to be about being focused on god that's going to give us any chance you guys to be the church that he wants us to be not focused on anything else secondly what did moses do when he finally engaged he went back to his people and he realized wow this isn't about me anymore it's about the israelites he finally came to realize that life is about something bigger than myself and one of the things, too, if you would actually listen to the voice of God and respond, what you're going to find out is that God has this incredible community that you're supposed to be a part of. Because I'm telling you, one little thing can have so much impact, but like hundreds can have a huge impact. And so that's why at K2 we say we're trying to be tight. 
Because God said if you could be the body and be tight with each other, then miraculous things could happen. So if you respond to God, guess what? You get to knit yourself with screwed up, sinful people. And it's a pain. (laughs) And it's joy. And it's what life is about. And then Moses got to see God set his people free. Anybody anybody in here want to be free? Do you know anybody in your life that would like to be free? Free from bitterness? Free from insecurity? Free from your fears? Free from this bondage to finances where your significance is wrapped up in what you do or what you have? Free. Free from your selfish motives every time you come home and cause fights with your spouse. Free instead to care about the people around you. Not because it's hard, but because he actually changed you and you actually care about other people. Free! See, that's what God wants to do. God sees the misery and he hears the cries and he's concerned about you. And he's concerned about the world. And so he comes down to rescue And the way he rescues is he looks at every one of you. I wish I could look at every one of you and say, you, go now. I'm sending you. So what does that mean for us, you guys, here at K2? When I think about this, I just think that there's a few things that we're going to be really committed to this year. I'm going to just run through them real quick, these 0809 initiatives for us as we we go through this year. The first one is that we're going to figure out how to walk with Jesus to have a personal adventure with God. You know, we call it a, an adventure with God here at K2, and it really is, but we still know that many of you have yet to go just home and have a daily taste of God in your life. See, because again, if you only know about God, that is so unfulfilling. It doesn't change anything. You actually have to know him intimately and personally. That's life. And so we're going to do everything we can to help us walk with Jesus on a personal adventure. The second thing is we're going to walk together. And I just, we just did a whole three-week series on that, so I'm not going to get into that. But again, God says it's so, the only way you can reach the whole measure of what I have is if you do this together. The third thing is we're going to walk in circles, which means we have no idea what we're doing. And we're just, no, no, that's not what it means. But actually, we are going to put together a tool on the website that's going to be a wheel, a circle, that's going to help every single one of you, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, to grow in the areas that are important to you. And we're going to be able to do it in relationship. I can't go in, well, believe me, you'll get tons of details in the future. But that will hopefully will be up uh, by January or early next year. The fourth one is we're going to walk south. And, and again, we're, we, this, this is great to have this building, but our dream, our mission is to plant churches all around the, all around the Western Rockies in the world. So we're looking to walk south to get another K2 campus started somewhere down in the southern suburbs. And we're going to do that. And then our fifth one is we're going to learn how to walk tall. And that's basically just leadership development. We just know that some of you, you have all the tools. Well, no, maybe you don't. Maybe you have the belt. And we feel like what we have to do is, is just give you the tools and help you to know how to use them. Because if we're going to keep expanding, the only way it's going to happen is if those of you who really are following Christ get strengthened in his grace, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.1. May you be strengthened in his grace. And then it says, so that you can give out what you've been given, that you can trust it to other people. So those are the things. We're actually going to do a survey coming up here uh, soon where we're going to help us to see where are we at as a church and how are we doing on these things and how can we continue on. 
But I can tell you this, you guys, why are we going to do these things? Because the only way we'll be a church that actually has reckless faith in Christ and that will make an impact is if we're people who actually know God. See, it just hit me. Can I just tell you this? If you, if, if, anyway, for me personally, I'm going to heaven like totally, completely exhausted. I am going to leave it all out here. I am going to lay it out and give everything that I've got. This is the athlete in me, right? You don't get done playing a game and then kind of, you know, launch into the locker room and go, well, I could have done harder. No, you lay it all out on the field. And I feel like for us as a church, what that means is I'm going to do everything I can to know him deeply and intimately. I'm going to do everything I can to figure out how to love you and to let you love me. And I'm going to do everything I can to be out there in compassion and in sharing the witness of the amazing love of God to this world. Because if we'll do these things this year, you guys, then God will see and hear and he'll have people who actually respond when he says go. And that's who we want to be. Now, you guys know, because here's what's going to happen, right? If we decide to follow God, he never does things the way we want him to, right? Can you remember, you remember what happened after he rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians and it was this amazing feat? And they're all like, whoa, God's awesome. You remember what he did next? He led them right to the what? To the Red Sea. He leads them to the Red Sea, to this place that's impossible to get by. Anybody ever been to an impossible place in your life? And what's so great about this is then he says, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so he's going to chase after him. <laughs> Basically, what God was saying is, I am going to freak my people out. <laughs> and this is like my idea. And then he says, in, in Exodus 14, he says, and the reason I'm going to do this is because I want to make sure the people know that I am God. So I'm going to lead you to something freaks you out. The enemy is coming over your back, breathing down your neck. You feel like you're going to lose. And you know what all the Egyptians said, right? That's okay. We trust God. No. They said, what's going on? Why did you lead us out here? Why couldn't we have just served the Israelites? Why couldn't we just die? Right? No. God says, because I want to show you I'm God. Can I just tell you, you may have a personal Red Sea that's freaking you out and that's making you wish you could go back and that's making you not believe in God anymore. And can I encourage you right from the word over and over and over again, God says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm actually put the Red Sea there because I want to show you that I can part what you can't and that I'm God and you're not. And you know what? I feel like he's done that with us as a church. I feel like we have hit some things. And, the, you know, it's just the complaining, the, the struggle, the wonder if God's here. And that's why I feel like we're on the verge. It's like, okay, God, like, part this thing. And what if it's this year? What if it's this year? When he parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went through, and then the enemy came in, and then he brought the sea back over him. What did the Israelites do? Oh, immediately, chapter 15, they sang praises to God. They said, you really are God, and you really care for us. This was awesome. You know, and then they went to the desert and had to go through it all over again. But in that moment, it was awesome. And you know what? That psalm ends with this phrase, truly, our God reigns forever and ever. You know what happens when God reigns, you guys? In other words, when what he wants to happen happens, you know what happens? 
Good things happen. Right things happen. God is the God who loves. God is the God who fights for justice. God is the God of compassion. He is the one who cares. He is the one who always does what is right and true. And when he reigns, when his stuff happens, good things happen. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, oh, by the way, can I tell you something about this kingdom of God? He says, it's in you. It's in you. You guys following this? God reigns, you guys, and he will do his work. But he's going to choose to do it through you. So here's your question. Does he reign in you? In other words, when he comes and says, hey, you're my man. You're my woman. Go now. I'm sending you. Do you go, well, who am I? And do you fight him? Or does he reign in your heart and you say, here am I. Send me. If we would be a church of people who would say, here am I, send me, then God's stuff will get done and the world will no longer question where he is because they'll see him in you and in me. So here's what we're going to do. The greatest video I think maybe I've ever seen in my life, we're going to show you. And while you watch this thing, I want you to deal with your own heart about the concern of God. After you watch this, you question whether he hears the misery of this world and the cries that are going up all over the place. And then you have to wrestle with your own heart. Are you going to be someone who responds to what he asks you to do? Let's watch it together. something more, something yet to be born, unformed, 